0: You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network.
1: It's time to talk about the Green Bay Packers. This is your Packers Update, the Daily Cheese, brought to you by Packernet.com. The Daily Cheese is a collaboration with the Packernet Podcast, hosted by Brian Schlipp, the Pack Daddy, and I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. Returning to the show today, for the first time in a long time, we have the one and only Coach Brian Hahn, here to answer the question, what does a Joe Barry defense look like? Of course, all the hubbub right now is about J.J. Watt, star defensive end from the Houston Texans, who is now a free agent. Despite having no cap space at all, the Packers are still consistently one of the top three teams with the highest betting odds to land the former three-time Defensive Player of the Year for several reasons. First, because he is a former Wisconsin Badger. The Packers were his favorite team as a kid. He still lives in Wisconsin. And of course, his wife does play professional soccer for the Chicago Red Stars. Also high up on the list is another team that has no cap space, and that would be the Pittsburgh Steelers, where his little brothers TJ and Derek Watt play. I just got a listener question from Tobias Miller on Twitter. Hi, JJ, I got a quick question. Do you think a JJ Watt signing will be announced by any team before March 17th, or will he be signed when free agency period opens? Now, as a fellow JJ myself, of course, I am very qualified to answer all kinds of questions about Mr. JJ Watt. And it just so happens JJ Watt does not need to wait until free agency begins to come to an agreement with the team. Why is that? Well, an unrestricted free agent does have to wait until March 17, but Watt was released from his contract. So this is a very different situation from Corey Lindsley and Aaron Jones, who were under contract, and now those contracts have expired. Watt is also not subject to waivers. He was not waived by the team. He was simply just released from his contract. He is not an employee of the NFL. Here's where it gets really tricky, though. The NFL has not announced yet what the salary cap number will be for 2021. Speculation is they could go all the way right up until the deadline before they make a final determination, which means teams have to get under the cap without really knowing what the cap is. Now, the lowest the cap could be is $175 million, so as long as you are below that, then you're free to do whatever you want and sign JJ Watt if you'd like to. However, most teams, and especially most contenders, would have to slash their roster a little bit to make room. Because if you don't make room, the NFL will do so for you. In addition to being penalized with fines and loss of draft picks, the NFL will also void contracts, beginning with the most recent ones signed, until you're underneath the cap. So that would mean the NFL would just come in and void J.J. Watt's contract that he signed. So that does give a leg up to some of the teams who have the most cap space because they don't have to do as much work at a time when we don't even know what the salary cap will be yet. So here's a couple of teams that that would actually push up. The Indianapolis Colts have at least $62 million in cap space, a bit unlikely because since he was just released by the Texans, you would kind of think the last thing he'd want to do is stab them in the back by going to their biggest rival, who is not necessarily just one aging defensive end away from a Super Bowl run. If the Patriots had an offense, they would be a suitable candidate. They have at least $57 million in cap space. That sort of leaves the Dolphins, Browns, and Buccaneers in sort of that next tier of cap space, all having at least $15 million to play with. And I would say the Browns are clearly the most likely out of those three. Remember, the Buccaneers have to re-sign a massive number of their own players just to get a comparable roster to last year. The Dolphins had an extremely good defense last year, but their offense is a little bit suspect, beginning with the quarterback position. So if you believe that Baker Mayfield really is the guy to get you there, the Browns make a ton of sense. And in fact, the Browns probably would right now be my top pick for J.J. Watt. Two other names that do stick out are the Ravens and the 49ers. Now, neither of them have a ton of cap space, but they certainly have enough to sign J.J. Watt without endangering their cap situation. If Watt wants to hold out for a different team like the Packers or the Steelers, then yes, we probably will have to wait until March 17th when we know for sure what the new salary cap will be. But if he signs with one of those teams that I mentioned, yeah, we'll probably hear about it before then. By the way, the Packers' salary cap situation just got a little bit better. They restructured David Bakhtiari's contract now that the new league year has begun, and they converted his roster bonus into a signing bonus. Now, what that means is that the money that they promised him for a roster bonus in 2021 is in fact going to be spread out equally among all the remaining years of his contract, and they waited until the new league year began so that he would not count against the 2020 camp for that bonus. One interesting point, though, is that the max amount that they could have freed up by doing this was $8.3 million, and that is exactly how much they freed up. And the reason that's important is because it's an indicator of just how aggressive the backers are going to be about borrowing from the future to improve the present. Tobias, thank you very much for your question. All right, let's take a look at Joe Barry. Well, here, back again on the show for the first time in what feels like forever, I got the one and only Coach Brian Hahn. Coach, welcome back to The Daily Cheese. Super glad to have you again.
2: Dude, super excited to be back, man. You're right, it was a little bit of time, but I am super excited to be back and get rolling on this again. Hey, what have you been up to recently? Well, um, some really, really cool things have come my way. I recently accepted the position as JV head coach. Here at McFarland. So I get to kind of get my toes wet, um, understanding how to run a whole organization, not just like the offensive or defensive side of the ball. So I'll have my own organization to run and get some experience in that, and we'll see where it goes in the future. That's awesome.
1: Congratulations, man. Really happy for you. Thanks, bud. Hey, let's talk about Joe Barry. Uh, this is a guy who um, you know, he has not had the greatest success in the past as a defensive coordinator. He was defensive coordinator for two years for the Lions, two years for that team in Washington, you know, but that was a long time ago. So i got a few questions to ask you about, uh, you know, what does a Joe Barry defense look like? And then I want to get into some specifics of what does he do well and, you know, what has his defense is historically not done well. So one of the things that I want to ask you about is uh, how he likes to use his linebackers in run defense.
2: Yeah, his linebackers are going to be the linchpin. His inside linebackers will tell you everything about his defense. And I think you kind of touched on it a little bit saying he hasn't had the world's best success over in Detroit and again in Washington. But um, I would just challenge your listeners to tell me one of the linebackers from those teams. They are uh, relatively unknown and probably weren't the personnel that Joe Barry is looking for. The way he runs this defense, you have to have a couple of solid inside linebackers. In the run defense, specifically, like you were asking, He's going to ask them a lot of times to do what's a mug technique or where he's going to bring those two inside linebackers up tight to the line of scrimmage. It does a couple of things. One, if it should be a pass, then it, it changes the offensive line's protections to one that you can attack a little more easily. And number two, if it is a run, it puts them in a lot better position to go ahead and trigger and make their reads faster and just shoot those gaps which is a stark opposite to what you used to see a lot of Petten defenses do, where those linebackers would have to flow over the top and read and fill. Um, Barry's going to be a little bit more aggressive, I think, with those two inside backers.
1: So you're putting the offense in a position where they're more forced to run a max protect or a
2: man protection look on the offensive line, right? Absolutely. If if you have a couple of inside linebackers mugged up or really tight to the line of scrimmage to where it looks like they're blitzing, the offensive line is forced to at the very least account for them. A lot of times it puts them in a man protection scheme. Now, whether or not those two inside linebackers actually come is inconsequential because once that ball is snapped, those offensive linemen are locked into that man protection scheme. So what a lot of teams do, San Francisco being one, You know, you have uh, Tampa Bay being the master at this is they'll lock you into that man protection scheme, bail those two inside linebackers out and bring somebody off the edge that now because you're in man protection, you can't account for. It's a very, very intelligent scheme. So in this situation, your tackles
1: are locked up man on man and your guards. If you if you drop those inside linebackers back out, those guards are kind of just not doing anything right. And then there's nobody to stop. Uh, An outside linebacker from flying off the edge right outside the
2: tackle. Exactly right. You're going to have a tailback sometimes in to protect one side of the quarterback. But it's really hard for him to protect both sides of the quarterback. And then those guards who now don't have a job they're going to be asked to identify very quickly that those inside linebackers aren't blitzing, then snap their heads around just in time to maybe try to get a piece of a blitzing outside linebacker who's three or four yards away from him. So it's a difficult thing on an offensive line for sure.
0: In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now.
1: Now, back in the day, Joe Barry used to work with Monty Kiffin, who, you know, definitely more old school type of a coach there. But one of the things that Kiffen really excelled at was going up against, uh, you know, really heavy uh, sets, which is something that we're going to see a lot of from Minnesota.
2: Yeah, for sure. A lot of 12, 13 personnel with a lot of tight ends in.
1: So what does that look like there? What are some stuff that uh, Barry is likely to borrow from his Monty Kiffin days that he would be employing against Minnesota? And how would a Barry defense against Minnesota be different from a Pettin defense against Minnesota?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what made Kiffin so special against those heavy fronts is he would ask his defensive line or even the linebackers if they reduce down to that 13 personnel three tight end set. He would ask them to steal gaps or essentially close one gap on their way to another, which means you can effectively close out two gaps with one player. He wouldn't ask all of them to do it um, because it is, is it's a big ask. It's a tough thing to do, but a lot of times these guys would cancel those out. So when you're taking a look at, you know, a 13 personnel team with three tight ends in the reason they're running three tight ends is to try to get more gaps on the line of scrimmage to run the ball. So defenses then have to condense down. Now, if you have the ability to steal some of those gaps, you don't have to condense down as far. So if you have two guys on the defense that can steal gaps That's just two less dudes that you have to have up on the line of scrimmage, which means now you have some guys that can actually react and be a little bit more strong and and flow to the ball a little bit better. That's a pretty stark difference in what Petten used to do as well, as Petten tried to cover everybody up. And Petten used to run a lot of dime personnel, meaning two, uh, two extra defensive backs, and he'd take some linebackers off of the field. Now that means, um, you know, I've met Kyle Rudolph a couple of times, and that dude is big. I mean, he is all of six six, and he is just a strong bull. So if you have Kyle Rudolph blocking some five foot nine, five foot ten inch kid, like I love Chandon Sullivan, number thirty nine for you. But if if Kyle Rudolph gets a clean release and gets to go block Chandon Sullivan, he's probably going to move him off the ball quite a bit. So my <laughs> guess is you're going to see Joe Barry steal some of Kiffin's. Thought processes and get a lot heavier personnel in, probably four true linebackers in um, to combat some of that run game from teams like Minnesota.
1: Would that mean that we would see the Packers outside linebackers actually playing more like outside linebackers as opposed to just being like a true edge rusher?
2: Yeah, um, against heavier sets, I would not be surprised to see number ninety-one and either you know uh, Zedarius or Gary in in a true outside linebacker role where they're outside of the tackle and not just coming off of the edge.
1: Let me address the uh, the the Twitter and Facebook meme machines out there. Does that mean that when Preston is, is lined up there across from Kyle Rudolph, that he is playing cornerback? <laughs> no, because <laughs> that's what the memes say.
2: <laughs> he is uh, still absolutely an outside linebacker. So when you see him split out wide against Kyle Rudolph, like you did in Week Eight, um, that's because they're in man protection or they're in they're they're in man coverage. So when a defense goes out in man coverage, the outside linebacker takes the tight end and. And when the tight end goes out wide, you know, the outside linebacker has to go out there with him. What Minnesota was really trying to do was to see if they could get Green Bay to put a cornerback out there in man coverage on Kyle Rudolph, and then they could just lob the ball to him and have him go win a jump ball. But the second, if you take a look at that full clip and not just a still picture, the second that Cousins saw 91 go out with Kyle Rudolph, he motioned him back in and said, nope, we can't do that because there's two big dudes out there and I don't like my chances anymore. (laughs) All right. Hey, talk to me about what it means
1: when you say that Joe Barry is very multiple.
2: Yeah, dude runs a ton of different coverages. And at times, going back to his uh, kind of Fangio days, because Fangio did this so well with Chicago. um At times early on in the game, you're going to see some coverages that maybe don't necessarily match the personnel that the offense brought out. For instance, you could be in a a 12 personnel look where you're seeing two tight ends on the line of scrimmage and then a couple of receivers off and you'll see cover two against it, which is kind of strange. But then they'll run some Tampa where they'll actually take that middle linebacker and set him into a, a low hole or excuse me, a high hole drop. So it kind of almost turns into a cover three, which is more of a traditional defense that you'd like to see against that. So there's going to be some times where it seems like they're just throwing mud at the wall trying to find out what sticks. But really what they're doing early in games, Barry and Fangio was the master at this is they're trying to see how you're going to adapt to their coverages because if they know how you'll adapt to their coverages, then they can trick you, then they can play you. So a lot of times early on in Chicago Bear games, when Fangio was the D.C. there, you'd see a whole lot of teams put up a ton of yards, maybe even some some points against them early in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden that defense would just shut down. Well, what Fangio is trying to do is figure out exactly what your rules and your thought process is so he can use it against you later. And I truly suspect Joe Barry will do that in a multiple sense as well. All right. Tell me. Because there has been
1: a lot of criticism over Barry's time as a defensive coordinator, you know, which, again, was a long time ago. But what specifically does he not do well?
2: Yeah, look, that's a great question. Every defense has a strength and a weakness. Every defensive philosophy does. Traditionally, um, Joe Barry has struggled with the edges, meaning teams can get outside of him, um, get outside the defensive line and go hit that C-gap or D-gap and beyond. This is, that's pretty common with this style of defense. It only makes sense that that would continue to happen against this style of defense. It's a quote unquote soft edge. However, teams that have really good inside linebackers that run a very similar style of defense, not exactly what Barry's going to run, but similar are teams. Like, again, I referenced Tampa Bay where theoretically they should be soft on the edges, But they've got a couple of inside linebackers in Levante David and Devin White that are just so fast. I mean, they can just fly out there and beat you to the edges. That's why when we saw week five against Green Bay, Green Bay tried to run a ton of wide zone and try to get out there. And unfortunately, those two inside linebackers were just way too fast for them. So um, if you've got a couple of stud inside linebackers, this could really work out well for
1: you. So we may need to expect the Packers to be active either in free agency or in the draft trying to find some uh, better linebacker talent. Or, you know, maybe because stranger things have happened, maybe Oren Burks takes that next step and actually puts that freak physical athleticism that he has to good use by actually, you know, learning what he needs to do on a play to play places.
2: Yeah, uh, it's certainly possible. It's going to be really exciting to see how they play this moving forward.
1: Hey, Coach, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. You got anything uh, fun coming up in this next year? I know that you uh, have spent time in, in different camps uh, that included guys like uh, Kyle Rudolph and some other Vikings, as well as uh, Jim Leonard. You got any of those cool things coming up? Uh,
2: yeah. Thankfully, one thing that COVID didn't take away from us is the opportunity to kind of reach out to younger kids and share our love with football um, with them. So I've done a ton of of camps with younger kids with um some pretty notable professional athletes. You mentioned, you know, Kyle Rudolph. We had you know Larry Fitzgerald and 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 Mike Zimmer. I did a Randall Cobb camp back when he, he was in Green Bay and John Kuhn. Um, so some really fun stuff. The these guys are really really down to earth. They treat us really well. They treat the kids well. And I just got an invite here actually um a little bit ago to go work in Aaron Jones camp up in Ashland wow. this summer. So um maybe that's hope. I guess maybe that's some hope for uh, you Packer fans that he will be coming back in the green and gold. We'll see.
1: <laughs> very cool. Hey, Coach, thank you so much for your time. Everybody go follow Coach on Twitter, at Coach Hahn. Be sure to hit him up with questions or just listen to his awesome insights because he's a very, very smart dude, and uh, we always appreciate him. Big friend of the
2: show. Uh, it's my pleasure, JJ. This is so much fun. It's good to do it again.
1: All righty, that does it for today. For more in-depth analysis and look at Packers strategy, make sure you're subscribed to the PackerNet Podcast, hosted by the Pack Daddy, Ryan Schlipp. Keep up on all the Green Bay Packers news by going to Packernet.com and follow the Packernet podcast on Facebook. My name is JJ Leahy. Please follow me on Twitter at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y. Subscribe to my other show, No Huddle Radio. And as always, this is the Daily Cheese, your Green Bay Packers news update.